So I just uh, ask the Lord uh, to honor honor you and and give you something. Whenever I uh, whenever I preach, but especially on Sunday nights, I, I work real hard to to have something that is beneficial and help you to grow. So uh, hopefully we'll do that tonight. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter one. I want to give you one one single thought tonight, Philippians chapter 1. Every year I go to a, a hospital, their extension of the University of Alabama at UAB, the Kirkland Clinic. It's a teaching hospital, research and development. And the doctor that I have, I guess all doctors are intelligent, but he's extremely intelligent. He is on the faculty there, and he te- he's one of the doctors, but he's one of the teaching doctors and one of the few experts in the world that treats a particular illness that I have. And he has not only teaches the faculty, but he wrote the textbook. So I got to thinking about it, and I looked up the textbook that he wrote this week. I found it on Amazon. And it has 1,392 pages, almost 1,400 pages. If you want to buy it, it's $278. But you can get it on Kindle for $216. So uh, every time I go in there, which is usually in the spring in April or May, the first question that he always asks is this. He says, well, he said, "How, how is the church going? Uh, now, he's not a believer. He's not antagonistic, at least towards me. He's not. And uh, I don't know if he's interested in the church or it's just a way for him to to talk with me. But I'm always careful about even how that I discuss any symptoms that I may have uh, to guard my attitude. Because I don't want to be a stumbling block to this man coming to Christ. Every person in here has problems. Every person in here suffers, but it's a tragic thing when we waste our suffering. Uh, you have a decision make when you go through adversity. Am I going to, to use this for the glory of God, or is this problem going to destroy me and destroy the work that God is trying to accomplish in my life? And what happens when we respond wrongly to our suffering? Well, Depending upon the severity of it, it can swallow us up and it can make us bitter and angry and just hinder the work of God in us and then the work of God through us where God just can't use us anymore. But the Bible teaches, and this is really the the idea I want to give you tonight, and this is is so good, and I just want you to take this out with you, as suffering is a platform to share the gospel. The, the people that, uh, many of the people, not all of them, that have the deepest and most impactful ministries are people that have suffered. And that's the heart of the, the passage that we're looking at here. Paul wanted to go to Rome. That was his heart's desire. We looked at all this several weeks ago because he wanted to plant a church there. He was a church planter. And so he said, I'm going to go to Rome, the greatest city in the world. Um, really the the epicenter of business and languages and learning and so forth. But when he went there, he didn't go as a church planner. He went there as a prisoner. And he ended up not there within his dreams, but outwardly speaking, as a nightmare. 
So his dream was fulfilled, but not like he thought. And a lot of times that's the way it is for you and I. The thing that we thought would happen, uh, you know, I want to have a child. You can't have a child. I want to have children. Then you have children and things with the kids happen. I'm going to get married. And then you don't get married. I'm going to get married and then the marriage doesn't work out or there are conflicts. I want to do this or whatever. And the dreams that you have are shattered or you take a detour with those things. That's what happened to Paul here. But in spite of all that, he doesn't lose his joy. And we're not going to look at all these verses, but I want to read them in context real quickly. Uh, let's just read three verses, if you will. Notice verse 12, 13, and 14 from Philippians 1. Philippians 1, 12. He said, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, and I'll come back to that, have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds. So there he speaks twice about being in prison and being in bondage, literally in bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So even though he's in a place of detour, and for many of us it would be discouraging, I would be, uh, but he's not discouraged. Uh, it doesn't seem he's disappointed, but he's full of joy. So what is your what is your pain? What is your suffering? What is your disappointment tonight? Well, there's purpose and your pain, and there are three reasons for suffering here. And I want to talk to you real quickly on the joy of God's sovereignty in your suffering, the purpose of pain. Let me give you just this one reason, and uh, hopefully this will benefit you. I know it will because it's in the Word of God. Uh, first of all, the benefit of suffering is that when suffering adversity comes, the gospel is advanced. Now, that's, that's conditional upon your proper response to it. Sometimes when adversity comes, it's not advanced because we, we kick and react against it. One of the benefits of unannounced pain, of detours, is that the gospel can be advanced. Notice in verse 12, I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out, rather, unto the furtherance of the gospel. All of the bad things, all of the things that happened unto him have fallen out for the gospel to be furthered. Now, suffering, number one, God uses it to chasten us, to correct us in love. Suffering comes, number two, to, to teach us things so we can learn things. Number three, suffering comes to humble us so that God can use us greater. But I want you to listen carefully. The suffering that Paul had here that he speaks of in Philippians 1.12 was not corrective. It was not instructive, but it was permitted solely so that the gospel might spread to other people. Sometimes one trial will come and God has multiple purposes. But it seems here that the singular purpose, God says, I want to get the gospel to some people. I don't have anything for you to learn here. I'm not trying to make you a better Christian. I'm not trying to correct anything in your life. I want to bring your path across somebody else that needs Jesus. If you look in your Bible there, notice the word furtherance. The things which have fallen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. 
the furtherance of the gospel. We looked at the word this morning when Paul wrote Timothy, and he said, uh, Timothy, when you meditate and give yourself unto these things, thy profiting shall appear unto all. It's the same Greek word, the word profit. It means to, to make progress. It means to blaze a trail in the wilderness. It means to make some fresh trails. You're going somewhere where nobody has been before. It's only used three times in the Bible. This is one of them. It means to go a place where you've never been before. Paul says that I am not here as a church planter, but I'm here as a prisoner to further the gospel. I'm here to be a pioneer in the gospel, to make progress, to blaze a trail where nobody has been before. So now... The gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, don't miss this, is going to places because of Paul's suffering, because of pain in his life. Paul was in jail, not because of his plan, he had other designs, but it was in jail that God used him most where he wrote the letters of Colossians, Ephesians, and so forth in this book of Philippians. So listen carefully. God will use your limitation, he'll use your problem, he'll use your pain, the very thing that you think is inhibiting your being used of God as a launching pad to do your greatest work. That's encouraging to me. Because you can't see that, you think it's a detour, you think it's a dead end even. I'm not making any progress Sometimes as a preacher, I call it running in mud. I'm not making progress. I'm just kind of going through the motions. But God says, no, I put you in prison, if you will. I put you in this place of isolation. I put you in this place of obscurity. I put you apparently in your eyes on the shelf. I put you in a place of pain. A place where you get hurt. But I didn't put you there to teach anything. You may learn some stuff. I didn't put you there to correct you. I put you there so that you could take the gospel to some people. I was preparing this message this week, and I read about a a writer named Peter O'Brien. Peter O'Brien is a Bible scholar. He's from Australia. He grew up in a home that was not a Christian home. And uh, his mother, O'Brien's mother, there was a neighbor that lived next door to them, and uh, this lady that lived next door to them had a debilitating disease, and she suffered greatly. But she had a significant impact upon Peter O'Brien's mother. And he was a little boy growing up in an, a home that was not Christian. Parents were not unsaved. He was not saved. But this little lady that lived next door to them that was suffering, she, she didn't complain. She wasn't negative. She didn't feel sorry for herself. And it made such an impact upon Peter O'Brien's mother that the mother got saved. And out of her salvation, Peter O'Brien became a Christian. He had a brilliant mind, an academic mind. Later went to college and seminary, got his Ph.D., began to teach, he began to write. Then he moved to India and served there and has written many, many commentaries. Now, if you would have gone to this lady that lived next door that had that illness, and you could have told her up front, now, here's the thing. Uh, the Lord would have said, I'm going to allow you to have this illness, this debilitating disease. It's going to cost you something. 
But if you will gladly honor Christ in your suffering, the result of it is that people will be saved in India. Many people will be saved. And books will be written to help other people, other pastors, especially in ministry. Would you be faithful in your suffering? She was a a lovely Christian. She would have said, yes, I will. But she didn't know any of that. She was just suffering in silence, as it were, without a purpose. But because of her suffering, Peter O'Brien advanced the gospel and still has commentaries on the shelf today. Your task is to be faithful and look to Christ, not to understand everything. You're not, you're not going to figure out everything. We talked about this last week or two weeks ago when I introduced this message. Just to be Christ-focused. I'm not going to understand why my kids suffer or why other people suffer. I told you even, I gave you a pastoral word. When people go through things, you can't sit down and say, well, let me tell you why this happened, because you don't know. And especially on the front end of it, it's not healthy even to say, well, God has a reason, because they're hurting so much. And their thinking is this, is, well, if I knew the reason, it's not going to make me feel better. There's a time and place for everything. Sometimes they just need, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. God will advance the gospel and your imprisonment if you will allow him to do so. But when you're imprisoned, when you're disappointed, when you're hurting, you don't know everything. And it's your job to look unto Jesus and to be faithful. Now, the result of that is joy. That's why the title of this is the joy of God's sovereignty. The purpose of pain. We don't know the full purpose of pain. We just know that God uses it as a platform to exalt Christ, to get the gospel out. But there's great joy in God's sovereignty, knowing that God's doing some things that we do not understand. So the secret to, to joy in this little book, I love Philippians. The more I get into it, the better book it is. Is, is not just that the word joy is used over and over again. That's the byproduct. But the secret of joy is what Jesus had done in Paul's life. It was that the one that he loved was being lifted up. And it was just not the gospel. You see, the gospel is not something separate. The gospel is about Jesus. And that was the secret to Paul's joy. It was about Jesus He loved the gospel because he loved Jesus. Now listen carefully. The gospel, which is about Jesus, is a sacred trust. It's a sacred stewardship. And God places it in your hands. All of us, the Bible talks about it. It's a stewardship. It's a trust. But not just to give it out, but also to disseminate it when you're suffering in many different ways. I, I don't have time this evening, but if you want to, to do an interesting study, and when I started to go through this book, I emphasized this, that the words Jesus, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, are used over 40 times in four chapters. In chapter 1, they're used over and over and over again. And you can read this book in less than 20 minutes. Uh, about the average reading rate. And you just go through and read Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, and underline. And then 
Look for the word gospel. The word gospel in four chapters is used nine times. And a bunch of times in chapter one. Paul loved the gospel. And he loved the gospel because he loved Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he says, None of these things move me. They told him, they said, Paul, if, if you go to Jerusalem, some bad things are going to happen to you. He responded, he said, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Now watch this, so that I could finish my course with joy in my ministry, which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, we will never enjoy life. We will never experience the joy of the Lord if we try to interpret our trials apart from Jesus. Because he's put some things into my life about what I'm experiencing so that I can experience joy. And, and one of those things is to advance the gospel, to advance Christ's name, to advance his kingdom. And so when I see that happening, and for Peter O'Brien's mother's friend, maybe she found out later what her friend's son had done. She didn't know all that stuff up front. But in heaven, the judgment seat will reveal because of your, because of your response to suffering, because of, of your teachable spirit, because of, of how that you, you, you took it, if you will. And because of your sweetness, because of your being filled with the Spirit, God used you in the conversion of this woman. And when this woman was converted, her son made a major impact upon the kingdom of God. The key verse in the book of Philippians is not, in my opinion, anyhow, it's not Philippians 4.4, though it's a wonderful book. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. That's the byproduct. The key verse in the book of Philippians is chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The theme of the book is not joy. That's the, that's the sub-theme. The theme of the book is Jesus Christ and partnership and fellowship. Those are the dominant themes. And when we partner and when we fellowship with Christ and fellowship and partner with those that are in Christ in the gospel ministry... The byproduct of that is joy. In chapter 1, we learn that Christ is our life. For me to live is Christ. Paul said, I'm in prison, but that's okay because Christ is my life. In chapter 2, we learn that Christ is our example. Jesus humbled himself, and he's our example. In chapter 3, we learn that Christ is our focus and uh, how that uh, we look to him and it, life is not about us. And then we learn in chapter 4 that Christ is our, our source. He's our source. We learn that he is our strength. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ. He's our supply. Philippians 4.19. Everything is about Jesus. So joy is a byproduct of what Christ is doing in the heart of the apostle. And if I want to have joy, I just can't stir it up. I just can't say, I think I'll be joyful today. Joy is a byproduct of what Jesus is doing in my life. So when I see my trials, now listen carefully to I say this. When I see my trials as an opportunity to elevate Jesus and to share his gospel, 
it brings me joy. The house that you live on, the street you live on, God puts you there. It's no accident. You see, when, when stress is coming to your life on that street, your neighbors are watching you. The job that you have, the people you work with, the cubicle that you have at work, God puts you there. It's a platform. So when you go through stresses, people watch you. You don't always need to run from problems. Where you go to school, the classes that you take, where you're sitting, when you go through stresses, it's an opportunity for you to to experience Christ, for you to be a testimony to the grace of God. So, young person, don't just be on the team. Well, we're just here to win games. Well, it's good to win games, I guess. But God puts you there when you're going through tough times so you can be a witness to people. Don't just go to work to earn a paycheck. Don't just go to the ball games for your children. And I've taught you this so many times. When you're sitting there behind the backstop, you're there to be a witness to people. And when they discover that you have problems, just like they have problems, all of a sudden, through a season, they begin to open up their heart to you. You're an ambassador. You represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at school, on your street, on the ball team, as a parent. You represent Jesus, and that brings you joy. When Paul was in jail, get this, when he was in jail, here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20. He said, for which I am an ambassador. Now notice this, in bonds. Don't miss that. I'm in jail. And I'm in bonds right now. But I'm God's ambassador. Without doing damage to the text, I am an ambassador in pain. I'm an ambassador in suffering. I'm an ambassador experiencing disappointment. For which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly. He says, pray for me that as an ambassador where I am on this street, on this job, in this classroom, that in this suffering, maybe I've been taken advantage of, that I will speak boldly and further the gospel in this place. Where has God placed you in suffering? Further the God. It's a pioneer advance. You're making progress in territory where nobody has been before. Some people have never heard about Jesus, but God has, has entrusted you and stewarded you with a problem. Not because you've done anything wrong. Not even to teach you a lesson. But he wants to get the gospel to somebody. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Paul said, wherein I suffer trouble. I'm going through some trouble. And people say I'm an evildoer. Even under bonds, even to the extreme of being in prison. But the word of God is not bound. He said, I'm in jail, but you can't put the word of God in jail. Now, why did that happen to him? The next verse says, therefore, I endure. I don't enjoy this. Now, I will get joy out of it, but there's some pain in it because I'm in the bind. Therefore, I endure all things. For the elect's sake, for these people that need to be saved, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory.
remember when I was in Bible college, one of my favorite teachers taught on that, and he talked about enduring, elect, and eternal. And he talked about the things that we go through to get people saved. As God entrusted you with, with a suffering, with, with something negative, with a reversal in your life, it's to further the gospel, to advance the gospel. And there's great joy in that. Again, I was reading this week uh, in this context about people that this had happened to. I read about John Bunyan, who was uh, in England in the mid-1600s, a very powerful preacher. And because of the, the giftedness of the preacher, he was very popular. And the Church of England didn't like him. So many crowds came to hear him. And because of the Church of England was the, kind of like the national religion of the state of England, state religion, they put him in jail. Well, he started preaching in jail. They had a courtyard there. And the prisoners would come out to hear him. Well, apparently within the courtyard, he could be heard. And uh, there was, you know, a difference between where people, uh, the common people on the outside and the prisoners, but people could hear him. And so people came from, from the countryside and all around the town there in Bedford to hear John Bunyan begin to preach. Uh, to the prisoners, and he kept on preaching. Well, the people became so angry because they couldn't control him, and they they put him deeper inside of the prison, what we would call solitary confinement. And there he he didn't have anybody to preach to. So John Bunyan, with very little resources, began to write. And uh, he began to write one of the most widely distributed and translated books in history after the Bible. Many of you have read it, Pilgrim's Progress. And it was, listen, it was there in solitary confinement where he was by himself, where his greatest ministry, where he preached the loudest through his pen. Now, he would not have chosen that. He would have chosen to have been outside the prison. But then God put him in prison. He kept on preaching. When he kept on preaching, they put him in solitary confinement. There was no one to listen to. He said, well, I can't preach verbally. I'll just preach through my written hand. Whatever you see this evening as an obstacle, see it as an opportunity. Paul was in, ch- in chains. Your chains are chains of purpose. They're chains of purpose to further the gospel. I love what Stuart Briscoe said. He said, Paul learned, listen to this. He said, Paul learned that his imprisonment seemed like a disappointment, but it was his appointment. When Joseph, for those 13 years, was suffering, God had a higher purpose. He met his brothers finally. He had been promoted and promoted. One of the key words there in Joseph's life is that God saw him. And God's hand was upon his life. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 8. Joseph told his brothers. Now this is God's perspective that he had accepted. Joseph said, it was not you that sent me hither. So you didn't put me here. So I'm not angry with you. So God put me here. And it was God that made me a father to Pharaoh. And Lord of all his house. And a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. 
when you have the sovereignty of God in the big picture in mind, it keeps you from getting bitter. And then a few chapters later, again, he told his brothers he never lost his big picture. Genesis chapter 50. I'm sorry, 50. 50. Speaking Greek up here, I'm not either. Talk too fast. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. He said, but as for you, you thought evil against me. You tried to hurt me. But he said, but God meant your evil unto good. To bring to pass that it is this day to save much people alive. What difficulties are you going through? What hindrances do you see that are hindering? That are hindering your ministry. God can use those things to launch your ministry. Perhaps it's a hospital bed where you need to meet another patient or a nurse. Maybe a doctor's office. Or you need to meet someone that runs the test. Or somebody that cleans your room. I was in a doctor's office several months ago. And a lady was in there. and She had a problem with one of her children. And uh, I began to talk to her about some things that had helped me. And then I was in there several months later for a follow-up. And I was able to, to follow that up with her. Maybe it's a challenge in your family and other people are watching how you handle that. The conversations that you have with other people are not problem-centered, but they become gospel-centered, Christ-centered. This past week, Paula's brother was coming in for Christmas and she hadn't seen him for a while. He hasn't been to Huntsville for a while. He's a good guy. And uh, she was really excited that he was coming. And uh, the morning... Of his arrival, he was going to get there about noon. The morning of his arri- arrival, our uh, the sewer in our house backed up, and uh, it became a half day affair most of the day. So I called Mister Reuter, and uh, finally, a little bit before the sun came down, literally, he came. We waited and waited, and I was worried, you know. Paula was, she wasn't angry, not like that, but, you know, she wanted her brother uh, to, to be there. You don't have that age. you got company coming in. And then I had family there. I wasn't able to spend time with them, waiting on the gentleman to get there. And uh, just waiting. Don't you hate to wait sometimes? I mean, just waiting and waiting and waiting. It's hard to wait. So finally, this little fellow walked in. And he talked in a very hoarse whisper. He just couldn't talk at all. I got bad hearing, as most of you know. And I couldn't hear everything he said. And then he went back outside. And Paul said, did you hear what he said? I said, no, I got his name. She said uh, he had cancer. He's recovering from cancer. So um, kind of put a shift in the thing. So he came back in and, you know, did what he could. We got, we got everything fixed. But um, he came in. I said, um, are you from Huntsville? He said, yes. I said, where did you grow up? He grew up about a quarter of a mile where I did. 
Did you go to Terry Heights? He said, yes, I did. Did you go to Stone? Yes, I did. Did you go to Butler? Yes, I did. I said, those were the schools I went to. When were you born? 1963. I said, you went to school with my brother. My mom was the secretary at the high school, just beginning to make some connections. I said, um, I appreciate you coming out here to help, help my family today. Just so soon after Christmas, I know you've been busy. Probably people have waited to call, and it's, the sun is down now. I would uh, really like for you to come to our church sometime. He said, where's your church? I told him, and he asked some questions. He said, I know where that church is. He said, uh, John Wagler used to preach at that church. I said, yeah, one of our buildings is named after him. He said, he did my grandmother's funeral. And I began to talk to that man about his soul. And I'm hoping to reconnect with him. What was very unpleasant for us was for the furtherance of the gospel. That was not on my plans, and I still wouldn't have picked it. But in the sovereignty of the goodness of God, I hesitate to call it suffering because it wasn't suffering. But something that was unpleasant and unanticipated became a platform, became a platform for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. Now I'm finished, but here's what I want to exhort you with. This week, this week, when things bump you, when things go astray, when you're disappointed, when your plans don't work out, rather than pounding the steering wheel and getting angry with your boss or your family members or your neighbors or whatever, just step back and say, okay, God, you have entrusted me with this problem. Who is it that you want me to speak to about Jesus? Who is it that you want me to behave like Jesus in front of, like George O'Brien's mother's friend? That one day I will find out in eternity that I may have had just a little peace in helping them to come to Christ. And the Bible says, in the book of Philippians, that that helps you experience deep, deep joy. Even in the middle of pain and suffering and disappointment. Let's pray together, okay? Okay.